Hello, my name is Sanli Faez and you are listening to the news chat on the road to open science. This podcast is an initiative of the Utrecht Young Academy with the support of the open science community Utrecht. Barbara Verrede and Bianca Kramer are here with me in the Utrecht University Library to talk about the news around open science and the recent developments regarding the Plan S. We are starting over a news chat. Uh, that's the third episode with uh, Bianca and Barbara. And we're going to start with the quick jamboree of news. And then we're going to dive deep into the main discussion point. What else? Surprise, surprise. It's going to be about Plan S. But let's start from the good news. Barbara. Good news is that uh, the Royal Society is now opening up peer review. So for the Royal Society Open Science and Proceedings B, uh, peer reviewers will uh, will get the chance to sign their reviews still. So in principle, it will be anonymous, but the reviews will actually be attached to uh, papers that are published. It will be open. And that's really cool. Another piece of good news is that the Austrian National Science Funder, FWF, have just pledged support for two years for a SciPost that I think featured earlier in one of your episodes. So I think that's really good. So we have some good news from Utrecht University, which is that we have an open access fund uh, for publications that are in full gold open access journals. Um, and it's been extended. It's been in existence for the past few years, and now it's been extended for 2019. Um, it unfortunately is still a very limited fund, so uh, the contributions per article are capped. At maximum half of the APC will be refunded by this fund. Um, and we still need more contributions because at the rate it's been going, it's been quite popular. At the rate it's been going, we will run out of the current fund somewhere in June. But uh, hopefully that will happen. It's been happening for the past few years, so I'm quite hopeful in that. Is this fund only for publishing or does it also include other type of open access, open science related activities? It is really only for APCs. So if you have published your article in an open access journal, that is a gold open access journal, so it's not a hybrid journal, you will be able to get a refund for your APC or part of your APC. Okay. What's next in the hot news? Um, maybe the initiative by um, NWO, ZonMW, NFU and VSNU together to make further steps into the reform, uh, reform of the evaluation system. This is something that came out of the National Platform Open Science, the National Plan Open Science, where that was one of the, the pillars of open science. That's also all the time is brought up by if we really want change, that's one aspect that, that, that needs to change, that's fundamental. So now um, our national funders um, and also the Coalition of the Universities and the Academic Hospitals, they are uh, staging meetings for to also with researchers to get a lot of information uh, from across the spectrum on what's important and how to do that. And may I add to that, the University of Ghent also announced that they have already actually starting to go to the new evaluation system, and it was announced very boldly about a couple of weeks ago, right? And one thing they want to do is they want to move away from the uh, individual assessment and really focus a lot on uh, collaboration and team science. Um, also, they want to move away from the bean counting approach as they are not going to do the assessment every year, but do it over a longer period and really look at the broader scale. So uh, at the level of the research group of the university, what are the contributions from the research group as a whole? So from all individuals in the research group to not only research, but also social, uh, social impact. Do you know how that ties into how they will judge new applicants? Uh, no, that's a good question. 
I would think, but that's that's my own interpretation, that it's it's very similar to what's happening at uh, UMC Utrecht. That if that's what you find important, then that's also what you're looking for in new applicants. And then that can be more than just the traditional notion of research excellence. But it can you can also really hire new applicants on the basis of other qualities. But as far as I know, that's not in the in the Gent plan because that's really about judging ongoing research. Okay. So. Now we can actually perhaps dive deep into the discussion. We had a lot of developments in the last uh, four weeks on Plan S, including the announcement of the details of the plan by the coalition. Uh, can you summarize this for us? Sure. A couple of things have been clarified more. A couple of things that were previously already in the preamble, but not a lot of people picked up on, I think, have now been put in really in the implementation guide, which includes a transition period in which those read and publish deals, um, hybrid journals that are included in the read and publish deals are still okay to publish in, with the condition that those deals really should be transformative. So there, there really should be an element in there how there's going to be a move towards full open access. Another big thing is that uh, it has been made clear that also archiving in green open access is acceptable, is compliant, as long as for and that goes for all kinds of publication, as long as it's immediate open access, so there's no embargo, as long as copyright is retained, so copyright keeps with the authors, and as long as it's under a CC BY license. Under those conditions, also green open access is compliant with Plan S. And that is green open access, that's actually important. That's green open access that's published anywhere? For, for with an original publication that was published anywhere? Because this is something that hasn't been clear to me. During the um, uh, the transition period, we know that hybrid journals are okay, but um, that's only hybrid journals with a deal. Um, but for example, so as it stands, one of the real contentious points is that things like uh, Nature, Science, PNAS are not compliant journals. Um, so what if I publish something in Nature, and it is oh I wish, um, and it is. Uh, and, but then I archive it immediately with a CC BY license. Nature allows this, right? Say. But that's still not compliant. I think it is compliant. And I think that's, that's one of the loopholes that's, uh, that is really interesting for, for Harbour Journals that are not in the deal. That's a pretty easy way, perhaps, to be compliant because those articles are open access already. It still needs to be CC BY. It still needs to be author copyright retained. So there might be some policy changes still required from the publishers. But in those cases, under the current, what's currently written, my interpretation is that then, yes, that's compliant. Okay, it's getting very technical. I should just mention that these things have been written down. You can find it. Jeroen and Bianca have written a table of nine routes to compliance with Plan S, and you can find it. We will post a link uh, on Twitter under this show. And yeah, and about that table, I think one of the things to me that that's very important that a lot of the time in the discussion about Plan S, it is sort of taken that Plan S is really geared towards APC-based cold open access. And I think what, what those nine routes show, that there are many, there, there are more routes to open access that are compliant with Plan S, including Diamond Open Access that is free to publish for, uh, for both authors and free to read. And that, that is financed in another way by library consortia. Uh, the green routes that are now, now allowed. So there's really a spectrum of possibilities and it's up to, to publishers to 
sort of find a way in that it's up to funders to stick up to those principles and it's up to researchers to make use of these possibilities. And I think that I would really like if the discussion is really broadened to that. Otherwise, other than just thinking, oh, this is all forcing us into an APC-based system, because I really think it is not. Plan S does require that you also submit your article to a repository in order for it to be compliant, even though a publisher might be able to offer that access. So if in the traditional system, that publication would be, you would pay for an, an APC, would pay for an open access APC, your article would be published online. Say they change the, the, the licensing system. Plan S does require that on top of all of that, you submit your article to a repository. What is the extra, what's the value of that? I, I think I know the answer. Uh, I think that should be machine readable. I think what the, the, there is the criteria now put on repositories, which is something new we didn't know before, that the repositories should be machine readable, they should have XML outlets, and that's very important. And many traditional journals actually only post things which are not machine readable, and I think that's the added value of putting repositories. But why not require those same things from a publisher and then say, okay, hybrid is okay, but we require journals to, to have machine readable output? I mean, many big publishers now already making repositories. So I think I don't think these requirements are very separate. Publishers can have their own repositories. But what this takes away is the force to a publisher to be to flip from hybrid to full gold. It's exactly this route that we are at, that we call the loophole. Because yeah, I, I think that's that's the green route for closed. Uh, closed journals, that, that's one way if you allow that, if you allow that under the conditions of copyright retention and CC BY, that's really a way to make at least a lot more uh, articles open access. And what effect that will have on the publishers and on the publishing model, that's really up, uh, an open question because it might very well be possible that there will be fees charged to allow that kind of green open access. It might also be that a lot of publishers are thinking that in that way, it devalues the value of the journal, so it, it threatens the subs, uh, subscription system. Yes, so we'll see how that moves, and that's also a choice publishers have to make in, in how they move in that. But in essence, allowing that green option for subscription journals allows an additional route towards open access. Now, what you're saying, I think is absolutely right. Allowing that green route for, for hybrids is really not changing that hybrid model, so it is a loophole, and we'll have to see how that pans out. But I mean, in my simple mind, I cannot see green would be widespread and open access be at the standards of that we ask 100% open access and still subscription just continues like it is now, unless these publishers say you have very, very special service and you're paying for the service. But subscription for access to journals after 2020 or 2023, I don't see how library is going to justify this and the other journal if the articles are accessible. Well, as long as, as the U.S. does not sign up to Plan S, I think the libraries can justify it because there's just a lot of science coming out of the U.S. that we still cannot access because it's not being published with open access or it's not being 100% open access. If Europe, and this is still these are still limited uh, funders in Europe that require Plan S compliance, but say enti the entirety of Europe will publish uh, fully open, then we still have a large segment of what's published globally that we still cannot access. And in order to function properly as a, as a research society, we need to actually get access to that, that information. 
So libraries will continue to to buy subscriptions for at least a a, a long time to come. I'm guessing. I'm fearing. I'm guessing the opposite. So there was this discussion about China will never support Plan S. And there was a piece of news on that as well. There was a meeting in Berlin. And after that came a news about uh, the policy China is uh, going to enforce with respect to Plan S. We still haven't seen that official policy in the news item from, from Nature. It it was alluded to, to policy documents that I think, as far as I know, no one has seen yet. So I think it's a bit too early to say that China is really subscribing uh, or supporting Plan S. That meeting in Germany, uh, the OA 2020 meeting, is a bit wider than, uh, than Plan S. It's really about uh, changing to, to open access, but not following all the uh, all the conditions of, of Plan S. So I, I see them as, as parallel routes. And what I'm really interested about is what China is actually supporting, what they're in fact are actually going to support. If Are they really going to support uh, Plan S full sale? Or are they more also um, going to commit to moving to open access, but that could be in ways that's very different than might be compliant to Plan S. But we'll see. Uh, do you think that if Europe and China go toward this route, US have to come on board? And there's also already some activities in California, for example, right? I mean, it's not like the US is currently very good at um, listening to global pressure. So there, there's that. Uh, what was the reaction of the scientific community to this clearance of terms of the Plan S after it was announced? Uh, I think it has been mixed as it has been all along. Um, in general, the, the clarification has been has been welcomed. Uh, there are also still some questions about that that have not been answered. Criticisms uh, that have been formulated before still remain. Uh, focus on uh, on an APC-based model, uh, but also questions about uh, legitimacy at all of mandating something like this. Questions about uh, specifically limiting to CC BY and whether that is acceptable to all disciplines. And they're, f they're very detailed um, calls specifically from, from humanities uh, that they may really, really want to see that broadened to, to some more slightly more uh, restrictive licenses as CC by ND or, um, or NC. So I think those are some of, the, some of the criticisms and some of the questions. And I think one thing that's very important that uh, together with uh, bringing out these implementation guidelines. There's been feedback, uh, opportunity for feedback opened that is open till February 1. So it's really inviting anyone who has other questions, still wonders about things that are unclear or really uh, criticisms to bring them forward, to contribute to that feedback because that's that's the way that it's now possible to contribute to this. Yeah. And on 31st of January in Utrecht, there is a meeting planned. That's organized by NWO and KNW. So that's uh, the, the discussion meeting about Plan S. There are also discussion meetings in various places uh, at various times. There was one in Leiden last week that we attended that I thought was a really good open discussion on all aspects. So yes, there, there are opportunities to come together and discuss this. And the, the feedback is open. It's online feedback. So it's open for anyone, uh, either individually or in a collective, to provide that feedback. Can you brief us on what happened in Leiden? Uh, I know Paul Ginsberg was there. He's yeah. the initiator of Archive. Uh, yeah, it was organized by the physics department uh, on the occasion of Paul Greenspark being in the Netherlands for this lecture. Jean-Sebastien Coe from Zuidpost was also there. Johan Rorik from Glossa was also there. And Stan Giele. So it was a panel discussion, uh, but it was really a discussion with the audience. 
and uh, there were a lot of things discussed. Licenses were discussed, copyright were discussed, um, archive as a platform and how that relates was discussed. Of course, also the evaluation and assessment and the dependency of uh, especially young researchers on that and how that relates to, to Plan S. What I found really encouraging is that was it was not an entrenched for or against uh, debate, but really an exchange of, um, of opinions. What caught your attention most in terms of things that you heard new or you heard special? Perhaps again, and that's not new, but I really admire him for that, uh, Jean-Sebastien Coe, who there also announced the, the funding by uh, FWF, uh, by the way. Um, really also making an appeal to researchers that this is not something that they are like helpless victims in the middle of, but it's really also up to researchers to make a choice in that. And uh, often it's, it can perhaps be seen as a very conservative reaction that people feel this as a threat. And I can see how people can feel it as a threat, but it's also an opportunity for people to make their own choices. And well, Jean-Sebastien is a very good example of that because he not only made his choice, but he actually made his own platform. That's not something that you can, of course, expect from, from anyone. But it, it does illustrate that researchers have a choice in where they publish and, uh, and what they do. So that, that call for that also there I found very inspiring. And, and researchers right now have the opportunity to talk. I mean, you just said this, so I, I'm just reiterating, but this is, I think this is so important. Right now, we can actually influence the policies that will affect us in a year. So this is the time to talk. This is the time to, to engage. Um, you know, this is, this is going to happen, right? We're, we're going to have to deal with this. Um, and now you can talk. Now you can join that conversation and make sure that your values are part of the new system. So talking about uh, talking, the way these sessions are organized, they are national sessions, open invitations, people can go. And I usually get headache after a few hours in these sessions, usually don't last so long because a lot of opinions are repetition of things which have been argued and a lot of points are not even discussed or deepened. Is there, now that we have these open science communities, do you know if there is an activity of making an orchestrated response and present it as a whole from the whole community, at least from Utrecht or from the three communities to the planners to bring it as uh, as, a, as an opinion of the collective opinion, which is already summarized? That's really hard to do because the collective opinion is, there is no such thing. This is the, this is the big contentious issue right now we have um what i mostly see is that it varies per discipline and of course these kinds of communities are cross-disciplinary um there are a lot of different disciplines that have absolutely no issue with with the new um, implementation but then there are communities that ha are, are really struggling with the idea of the change that's going to happen um, and there are points that are more contentious for some disciplines and and then others that are more contentious for other disciplines so this there's such a wide variation which is also why it is important for everyone's voice to be heard um, i think it is more constructive sometimes to to spend a little bit of time in your echo chamber and really flesh out you know these are the things that we find important and not debate the big things um, there's t there's a time for everything, right? So sometimes it's important to have those big discussions, but there's also some time that's it's useful sometimes to spend some time in your um, echo chamber and write your specific 
your disciplinary feedback. Um, so I'm not sure if there is such a thing as a community response that would actually represent the whole of the community and, and still be cohesive. And that's the, that's the struggle, right? But why not the open science community response? That's one of the purposes of forming an open science community, right? Bianca. Um, yeah, I think it, it would be a very good idea. And building on, on what Barbara said, a there's, a, there's a room for a uh, time and place for, for everything. Like, yes, discuss this within the echo chambers. But I think it would be very nice to have these discussions also across disciplines and really drill down to the details because it will open also open your eyes for how these things are perceived in, in other disciplines. And the, this, the CC BY issue that I just mentioned is one of them. Perhaps for the sciences, it's not such a big deal, but it's a really big deal for the humanities. And have that, that discussion is also, for me coming from the sciences, very illuminating to, to really see and think through those objections and see how you relate to that. So I think there would be benefit in that. I do think it's something for the open science community to, um, to consider um, if they want to contribute to that and shape the discussion in that, uh, take, a f uh, take a role in, in that discussion. And Barbara, maybe? So the, the open science community in a way is also a, a kind of an echo chamber. So I, I think it does make sense to, to write that discipline. I do absolutely agree with you, Bianca. It's a very good point that it, we can learn so much from each other. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's definitely um, illuminating to have cross-disciplinary discussions on this and, um, and go in there with an open mind and try to see if your objections are really your objections um, and that they, they stand after you've heard the viewpoint from someone uh, across the spectrum. So. And that brings us to the end of the news chat on December 2018. Thanks go to Barbara Freide and Bjarke Kramer who joined me in this episode. We also had a very nice interview with Mika van der Grift, an open knowledge librarian from the United States we are going to release that in a separate episode. From me, San Livaez, thanks for listening. <laughs>